This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. For new, we are in the midst of a series uh, that we just started a few weeks ago on the book of Romans called People Made New. And so... Typically what we do here at First Baptist is we're walking through a, a book of the Bible, and so we just preach whatever comes next. So last week we finished up on verse 17 of Romans 1, and so we're going to pick up today in verse 18. By the way, uh, we have some special cards for you guys uh, to take with you. We have some that are kind of in bundles. You may see them as you walk out today. It's great when I'm out and about at restaurants or the hospital or whatever just to see cards kind of scattered about. So take some of these, uh, put them in strategic places around our city, give them to friends. Uh, we want folks to know about uh, what God is is doing here. So we're going to pick up today um, in chapter 1 and verses 18 through 32, which is really about why we need the gospel. Why we need the gospel. So if you're uh, using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 939. If you want to follow along with us, and I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at God's Word together. Paul here is making a case, he's making an argument for why we as human beings desperately need the gospel. It's because of this, beginning in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And here he indicts the entire human race. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word right now, we want to we pray the, the words of an old Anglican prayer. Lord, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. Form us and shape us by your word and by the power of your spirit, by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago on the campus of a prominent university in England, there was an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and they were going to have a meeting where they were going to study the verses that we just read. And so on their flyer, which they put around campus, they just put the words to Romans 1, 18 through 32. And they took out the verse numbers so that people wouldn't know that it was coming from the book of Romans or from the Bible at all. They just, just put the words to verses 18 through 32. Well, their flyers hadn't been up for very long when they were hauled into the offices of the university administration. And they were told that their ministry was going to be severely sanctioned, and then these highly educated university officials demanded to know who the author was of the words on this flyer. Well, that tells us a couple of things. First of all, uh, sometimes some really educated people can be really ignorant about the Bible, but also it tells us that this passage is really clear. <laughs> That's why they were offended. <laughs> Not because it's unclear, <laughs> But because it's very clear, you know, we're going to, as we walk through Romans together, I mean, we're going to get to some passages that are very difficult to, to understand and to interpret. This is not one of them. This, is, this passage is very clear, it's, it's, it's very straightforward, and it's very important. Because Paul here is, is making an argument for, for why we desperately need the gospel. And listen, we cannot understand the sweetness of the gospel unless we understand the severity of our sin. We cannot understand how outrageously good that the good news is unless we understand our, our dilemma as human beings. And that's where we're going to begin. Paul begins here by, by talking about our, our dilemma as, as human beings. And we see that in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Men there doesn't just mean uh, males. It's talking about humans, okay? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So (laughs) here's our dilemma in a nutshell. Uh, Our dilemma is that God's wrath is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness, and we as human beings are unrighteous. That is a problem, and that is our dilemma. We are are by nature unrighteous people, and God's wrath is poured out on unrighteousness. Now, when we think about the wrath of God. A mistake that we sometimes make is that we equate it with human anger, which is usually sinful. But God's wrath is different. God's not throwing temper tantrums. God's not losing control. God's wrath is really an outworking of his righteousness. God is morally obligated to deal with evil. He cannot wink at it. He cannot sweep it beneath the rug. It it has to be dealt with. We expect that even from like our own human judges in our judicial system. We expect justice to be meted out. We expect the guilty to be punished. I mean, we've seen an example of this in this trial that's happening at, at Michigan State with all of these, these hundreds of, of girls that were abused over a period of years. And we saw a graphic example of it a couple of days ago when one of the fathers, the father of, of two of these girls that had been abused, asked the judge, can I have five minutes with this guy? And when he was denied that, he, you know, he, he, he lunged at, at the guy. Well, I, you know, I can tell you, as a father of two daughters, I could relate to that father. Um, but suppose, suppose the judge in that case, who we're relying upon to give justice and to punish the guilty, suppose he were to, to not do that and just, and just let him go. I mean, we would just be outraged beyond belief. So if we expect our human judges to punish the guilty, then how much more should we expect it from the perfect, holy judge of all the universe? No, no, God cannot just wink at evil. It cannot be swept beneath the rug. It has to be dealt with. And the question that modern people, at least modern people in Western Europe and America, the question that we tend to ask is the opposite of the one that Paul is asking in Romans. Because we tend to ask, how can God pour out wrath on people? You know, we want to go through a buffet line with the attributes of God and pick love and not wrath. So people in our culture ask, you know, how can God ever pour out wrath on people? You know, the question that Paul is asking in Romans is exactly the opposite of that. The question that Paul is dealing with in Romans is, how can a righteous, holy God not pour out wrath on sinners? And the answer is the cross, where the love and the righteousness of God 
meet. On the cross, we see how seriously God takes sin and that sin is dealt with and we see how much God loves human beings and seeks to redeem. Because see, God's dilemma was, I love these people and how do I save them in a way that doesn't compromise my own holiness and righteousness? And we're going to see the answer to that in the book of Romans. Let's look at at, at chapter 3 and verses 23 and following of Romans. Paul says, Therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So, that word in verse 25, propitiation, means a turning away of wrath. In other words, on the cross, Jesus took God's holy, righteous Wrath against sin so that that wrath could be turned away from us as sinners. Tim Keller points out that in the aftermath of the flood, when God put the the rainbow in the sky, that the word there in, in Hebrew for that that bow that God put in the clouds, the, the word there actually means a war bow, like a bow that shoots arrows. And that bow, that bow is pointed up into the heart of God. And that's like a foreshadowing of the cross. Because on the cross, the, perp- the holy, righteous wrath of God was shot through the heart of His Son. It was directed toward him so that it could be turned away from us. And so if we are united to Christ by faith, that means that we will never experience the wrath of God because the wrath of God has already been poured out on our Savior. But if we turn away from that Savior and refuse that Savior then God will give us over to the consequences of our own choices, which is exactly what he's going to be talking about for the remainder of this chapter. Let's take a look at our idolatry, human idolatry. Again, in verse 18, he says here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In the movie, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson plays this Marine Corps General, Nathan Jessup, and he's on the stand, and if you've seen this movie, you know the climactic scene in the film is when this, this young Navy lawyer, played by Tom Cruise, is cross-examining him, and he says, to, he says to this Marine Corps General, I want the truth, and the General spits back at him, you can't handle the truth. That's us. <laughs> what Paul is saying here at the end of verse 18. He says that by our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth because we don't want to deal with it. Because we prefer our rebellion and we prefer our sin. 
And so we suppress what we really know. We suppress the truth. Verses 19 and 20, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So in verses 18 through 32, Paul is talking about the Gentile world. How the whole Gentile world is under sin. Now in chapter 2, he's going to get to the Jewish world. And his conclusion is going to be that, that, that all human beings, Jews and Gentiles, are sinners in need of a Savior. But here in verses 18 through 32, he's talking about the Gentile world. You know, These are people who did not have the special revelation of the Old Testament. But what they did have was God's general revelation of himself through nature, through the things that had been made. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Imagine that you're out in the desert. Just a beautiful nighttime sky. No man-made lights to sort of obscure the stars. And so you're just out in the middle of this desert and the dead of night, and, 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 and the, the, the canopy above you is just brilliant. Just brilliant. All these stars. And you can't see a thing. You can't see anything. Because you're blind. Why are you blind? You're not blind because there's something wrong with your eyes. No, you're blind because... Put on blinders. This is a, a willful blindness. You don't want to see. We suppress the truth. And what this leads to is just a couple of aspects of what idolatry results in. First of all, we, we see here the madness of idolatry. It's crazy. The madness of idolatry. Verses 21 and following. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You know, as a, as a baseball fan, I, 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 I've kind of, I'm kind of familiar with some of the really bad trades that have been made in baseball history. Some baseball historians say that uh, one of the worst trades was in 1964 when the Cubs uh, traded a young guy named Lou Brock, who became a first ballot Hall of Famer, to their arch rivals, the the Cardinals for a pitcher named Ernie Broglia who had, had a, a bum arm and was like out of the game in a couple of years. That's a bad trade. But my, as a Yankees fan, my favorite bad trade of all time, and the one that still brings a smile to my face, was the one that happened in 1920 when the Boston Red Sox traded a young guy named George Herman Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $125,000, and they didn't even get a player in the deal. That's a bad trade. Paul here says, we make the ultimate bad trade because we trade the glory 
of the immortal God for a bunch of idols. And when you think about idols, don't think statues and totem poles. You think about whatever it is that you try to get to do what only Jesus can do in your life. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, we turn away from the immortal, living, glorious, all-satisfying God. We turn away from him to drink from a poisonous, toxic stream. That's the ultimate Bad trade, bad exchange. And what this madness leads to is moral fallout. That's the next thing that we see here, the the moral fallout from idolatry. Verses 24 and 25, therefore God gave them up. Now, let's stop right there because this phrase, God gave them up, It's very important. We see it three times in this passage. See it here in verse 24, again in verse 26, again in verse 28. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. What does it mean? It means simply this. It means that God hands people over to to the consequences of their own choices. When it says God gave them up, this is God saying Okay, go your own way. Go your own way. Because listen, if we say to God, long enough, I don't want you, then eventually God's going to say, okay, I'll give you what you want. I want to say that again. If you say to God, long enough, I don't want you, then at some point God says, Okay, I'll give you what you want. C.S. Lewis said there are two categories of people in the world. There are people who say to God, thy will be done. And there are people to whom God says, okay, thy will be done. That's God handing people over to their own choices. Now, this is what Paul is talking about. In verse 18, when he talks about the fact that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, do you see how that's in the present tense? Now, we know that there is a future wrath of God, but that's not even what he's talking about here. When he says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed, he's not talking about future wrath, he's talking about present wrath wrath, the present wrath of God handing people over to the consequences of their own choices. It's God saying, okay, go your own way. Now, what that leads to is the moral fallout that we see in verses 26 through 32. And listen, We are all in verses 26 through 32, right? This is 
all manner, as he says at one point, all manner of, 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 of unrighteousness. We're all here. You go to a Broadway play and you get a playbill. Okay, we're all in this playbill. We are all in this cast of characters that we see in verses 26 through 32. It's an indictment of the whole human race. It begins here in verses 26 and 27. He says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There are two things that the church needs to avoid when we think about the issue of homosexuality. One is that we need to avoid putting this sin in some sort of a separate category of sin, you know, as if it's like, you know, the ultimate sin. God doesn't do that. In fact, we're going to see in another passage where it's mentioned that God embeds it within a whole list of other sins. And that's, the, you know, here we see, we see a list of like over 20 sins. It's, you know, this is one of them. So one mistake is when we try to elevate this and put it in a separate category of sin. That's not biblical. But the other thing that we have to avoid is to, is to water down what the Bible actually teaches <laughs> and say the Bible is somehow unclear about this because it is clear. This is... This is this is not the only sexual sin, but it is sexual sin. Homosexual behavior is sexual sin. The Bible is really clear about what sexual sin is. I mean, sexual sin, according to Scripture, is any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And so that includes you know, not only homosexual behavior, it includes lots of heterosexual behavior. Sex before marriage, adultery, Lust and fantasies in our minds. The Bible's really clear about this. And so, you know, when we tell people that they're okay, and the Bible says that what they're involved in is sin, we're not loving people when we tell them that. That's actually cruel to tell people that. So, a couple of principles here for dealing with this. First of all, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Let's be a church that never waters down what the Bible teaches, but let's be a church that is full of mercy and grace and compassion for sinners, like all of us. The Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. We want to always blend those two things as a church. Another principle. All believers are called to fight sinful desires. All believers are called to fight sinful desires. And we've all got them. Every person in this room today is in a battle and our temptations are diverse. They're as diverse as there are people in this room. But, but all of us are called to fight our sinful desires, whatever they are, however we're tempted. 
Right? And there are things that in our lives, because of our fallenness and our brokenness, I mean, I know there, there are things that we just don't understand. We don't even know uh, where these things come from. It's because of our fallenness, okay? And we are called, every single one of us, to battle our sinful desires, whatever they are. It's just part of discipleship. I mean, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is just part and parcel of following Jesus. Just part of being a disciple is to deny our sinful desires, fight against our sinful desires, make war on our sinful desires by the power of the Spirit. And God has brought us all together and the body of Christ. None of us is alone in that battle. Thank God he's brought us together. Look at, the, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and, and verses 9 and following. He says there, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, there were people in the early church that were coming out of all kinds of brokenness, all, all kinds of sin, all kinds of lifestyles. Their culture in the first century was, it was just as, as, as broken as ours is. And what Paul is saying is, you know, he's brought all of us together in the body of Christ, right? Which really is not a museum for saints, but a, but a hospital for sinners, that are getting well by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit. And we're here to help one another as recovering sinners. <laughs> That's who we are as a church family. And then in verses 28 and, and following, he, 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 he goes on here to, to talk about just, just the whole array of, of moral fallout he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Notice here in this list how sin kind of begins, he begins here with, with, with the internal stuff like evil and covetousness and malice and then it works its way out into these sins that just poison relationships. Notice also here that, that this list is not confined to spectacular sins like sexual scandal or murder talks about stuff like gossip and slander. You know, the, the stuff that we can do, um, the kind of the, what Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins. Right? Those are the sins that we can commit. And as long as we're reasonably tactful about it, 
we can still be Mr. or Mrs. Upstanding Christian, right? You can even be a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. And as long as you're kind of tactful about it, you know, yeah, like we can, yeah. But see, God knows. God sees, right? It's not just the spectacular sins that are listed here, right? It's the, it's, it's the stuff that, the stuff that, uh, that, that we can do that we can, we can hide. We're clever enough. God knows. God sees. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, when we're immersed in sin, we don't want to be there alone. So we recruit others. There's safety in numbers. You know, so when we're in rebellion against God, we, we don't want to be out there on a limb. We want others to join us in our rebellion. This is why, young people, listen to me. Be careful in your choice of friends. Because when your friends are in rebellion against God, they don't want to be there alone. They want you to come with them. And so we got to make sure that in all of our friendships, we got to make sure that we're pulling people up instead of them pulling us down. The third thing that we see here is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel. Because set against the backdrop of all of this brokenness, man, there's a lot of brokenness in verses 18 through 32. But set against the backdrop of all of this brokenness that we see in this crazy world is the glorious good news of the gospel. The good news is that God loved us so much that he came for us and he went to a cross and was broken himself so that we can be healed and redeemed from our brokenness. You see, Jesus Christ allowed himself to be handed over and die on a cross so that we don't have to be handed over to sin and death. And Jesus loved us so much that he makes the ultimate exchange for us. For sinners like you and me, who had made the ultimate bad trade, the ultimate bad exchange, for sinners like us, who had exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. You know what Jesus does? Jesus makes this exchange. Jesus was covered in blood so that we can be clothed. In his perfect righteousness. Stand before a holy God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for not leaving us to wallow 
in our own unrighteousness and ungodliness. Thank you for coming to us to rescue us. For thank you for taking your, your, own, your own righteous holy wrath against sin. Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much, that you gave your son for us, and that he took that wrath in our place that was turned away from us and turned, turned on Jesus. So that for those of us who are united to Christ by faith, who have him as our Savior, that we never have to experience your wrath being poured out. Father, I pray for anyone here today who is not, who came into this room today not in Christ, who came into this room with, without a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of hearts to see the love of Jesus and to turn to Him and trust in Him, flee to Him and welcome Him as Savior and King. We pray it in His name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to your heart about a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about that. We would love to, to pray with you. And I'll be here at the front. Our pastors will be here at the front. During the invitation, we'll be here afterwards for you. We'd love to come alongside and just talk with you more about it. If you're here today and God's speaking to you just about being a part of, of our church family as we as we grow together as we battle sin together, as we seek to serve the Lord together. And we would love to, to talk with you uh, more, about, more about that. If you're here and there's just a need in your life for prayer, our altar is always open for you to pray. You can come and pray uh, with one of our, our pastors. We'd love to minister to you any way we can. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 
I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.